Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnerless. I hated sleepover parties. I had had one or two at my house. They were okay, but I despised going to stay at other people's houses. We often were overstimulated, overcaffeinated, overfed, and more often than not, watched films that we should not have watched. I remember one particular sleepover. We had watched John Carpenter's The Thing. Now, this was right before bed, and there were four of us there. My three friends fell asleep while watching it, so I'm sitting there alone. Then his mom comes in and says, okay, everybody time for sleep. They're already half dead, so they go into the other room, plop right down. I go in, throw the blanket over myself, and I'm laying there in the dark. Maybe three hours later, I get up, roll up my bag, go right out the front door, and head home. The next morning, my friend's mother calls, freaking out because I was missing. Calls my mom, is almost in tears, so upset that she had kind of misplaced me. My mother said, no, he came back in the middle of the night. I didn't want to call you to wake you up. I was going to call you when it seemed like a decent hour. She was relieved. My friends made fun of me to no end. But it wasn't my fault. This movie was really scary, and they had already gone to sleep. Whenever I watch John Carpenter's The Thing, I think about that moment. I should have tried to sleep, or I should have just stayed up. But after a really scary movie, it is much more satisfying to be in your own bed. I will tell you this, getting from my friend's house, which was around the corner, to home, I must have covered that distance in less than two minutes because I was flying down the sidewalk trying to get home as fast as I could, tripping over my blanket that I dragged behind me. I don't know if you've had this type of experience with horror films. Similar experiences would happen to me where a horror film would leave me sleepless, and that's what a good one should do. And The Thing by John Carpenter does it very well. So on today's show, we're going to talk about John Carpenter's The Thing. We'll talk about the story it was based on, the film that went before it, a little of the one that went after it. We'll talk about the cast, the plot, the director, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. John Carpenter's The Thing, or The Thing, was a 1982 science fiction horror film directed by John Carpenter. It was written by Bill Lancaster and starred Kurt Russell. It was based on a story written by John Wood Campbell Jr. under his pen name Don A. Stewart called Who Goes There. It was first published in 
August of 1938 in Astounding Science Fiction. The plot of Who Goes There is similar to John Carpenter's The Thing, as well as the 2011 The Thing, which is a prequel to John Carpenter's The Thing. It has a lot less in common with the 1951 Howard Hawks film The Thing from Another World. One thing all of these films have in common is a sense of isolation and cold. Some of them take place in Antarctica. John Carpenter's The Thing, Who Goes There, and the 2011 version all take place there. In The Thing from Another World, it takes place in the North Pole. But they all have to do with a visitor from another planet coming here who is going to be up to no good if it can escape the cold. In The Thing from Another World, the creature doesn't assume the shape of humans, but instead can feed off them and grow. And theoretically, if it could get to warmer climates, it could, because it's plant-based, grow millions of itself and destroy us all. The Thing from Another World, also unlike the other stories, has kind of a slightly more positive ending than the films that would follow it and the story that went before it. The Thing from Another World had actually been known by a lot of people as The Thing before John Carpenter's The Thing came out. The film was directed by John Carpenter, but he was not the first choice from Universal to direct it. They wanted Toby Hooper, who was under contract. Hooper submitted two drafts, but no one really liked them. While attempts to make this film were going on, John Carpenter's Halloween had come out and had been a very big hit, so they thought, well, other people like this John Carpenter, let's give him a shot. Carpenter was born in 1948, film director, screenwriter, producer, composer, editor, has worked in many genres, but is probably best known for his work in horror and science fiction. He directed Halloween, which is an amazing film, Escape from New York, Assault on Precinct 13, Big Trouble in Little China, and They Live, among others. Carpenter would state that of all his films, The Thing was his personal favorite, and it's part of what he calls his Apocalypse Trilogy, which is a trio of films that have sort of dark endings. The other two are Prince of Darkness and In the Mouth of Madness. Both you should check out. The screenplay for The Thing was written by Bill Lancaster, who was the son of Burt Lancaster, the actor. Before writing The Thing, he had two other film credits, really odd ones when you consider The Thing, The Bad News Bears and The Bad News Bears Go to Japan. If you watch The Bad News Bears, and especially The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, you can definitely see a lot of what would go into The Thing in both of those films. The film would take three months to shoot, and they were shot on six artificially frozen sound stages in L.A., with the crew and actors working in very, very cold conditions. Some final shooting was done in northern British Columbia, near Alaska, because they wanted exterior with snow. If you are a fan of special makeup effects, you are in for a real treat. It is considered a high watermark in the field of special effects makeup, and most of those effects were created by Rob Botten, who was only 22 when the movie started. Today's show is brought to you by a local ski shop. Stranded in the middle of an icy nowhere, you'll be glad you had your ski equipment. Gotta love skiing. In the thing, a scientific expedition is going normally when a group of Norwegians show up and are pursuing a dog, which they are trying to shoot. There's some bumbling and the helicopter that is pursuing the dog explodes. 
and we have no idea why they were chasing this dog. They bring that dog in, and during the night, it mutates and attacks the other dogs in their cages. When they investigate, they realize that an alien life form is in their camp, and they don't know who is an alien and who is not, which fosters this air of paranoia that drives the entire camp to destruction. The film stars Kurt Russell as McCready. Russell, born in 1951, has had quite a career, probably best known for his work with John Carpenter on movies like Escape from New York, The Thing, and Escape from L.A. He might not have been the first choice to play McCready. In fact, Nick Nolte, Jeff Bridges, and Clint Eastwood all passed on the role. Wilford Brimley played Blair. The original choice for the role was Donald Pleasance. Pleasance had worked with Carpenter in the Halloween films, is a great actor, but because of scheduling problems, he couldn't take the role, so it went to Wilford Brimley. Brimley was born in 34, has appeared in a ton of movies. Keith David played Childs, probably best known for his work on The Thing and They Live. He's also been in the Riddick films Pitch Black and The Chronicles of Riddick. He also has a hilarious role in There's Something About Mary. A couple of other people were up for the role, including Bernie Casey, Isaac Hayes, Ernie Hudson, Jeffrey Holder, and Carl Weathers. Hudson came close to getting it, but David was the favorite. Donald Moffat played Gary. He's probably best known for his role in The Thing. He was also the president in Clear and Present Danger, and has quite a huge credits list. Other people tried out for the role, including Lee Van Cleef, Kevin Conway, Jerry Orbach, Powers Booth, and Richard Mulligan, which would have been a very interesting choice. Richard Mazur played Clark. He has a lot of TV work, soap opera work. As far as films go, he might be best known for The Thing. David Clennon played Palmer. In addition to working on The Thing, he was in the ABC series 30-something. And back in 1980, when NPR did its Star Wars original radio drama, he played Abril Motti. Charles Hallahan played Norris, probably known best for his work in The Thing. He was also in Dante's Peak. If you ever saw the television series Grace Under Fire, he was a regular cast member on that show. Joel Polis played Fuchs, quite a character actor, including appearances on CSI, Boston Legal, Star Trek Voyager, Alien Nation, Cheers, and a very memorable turn in Seinfeld in the episode that included the line about the jerk store. If you haven't seen that episode, you should. T.K. Carter played Knolls. He's done a lot of TV and movie work. If you were a fan of the TV show Punky Brewster, he played Mike Fulton, an elementary school teacher on that series. He also played Milo Williams on the Disney Channel series Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Richard Dysart played Copper, probably best known for his work on the NBC drama L.A. Law. William Daniels and Brian Dennehy were considered for his role. Dennehy almost had the part, but at the last moment, Carpenter decided to go with Dysart. Thomas G. Waits played Windows, TV and movie actor, been on NYPD Blue, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Law and Order. In film, he was in The Warriors. Peter Maloney played Bennings, another actor who works a lot, especially on TV. Most recently, he played Uncle Red on Rescue Me. Now, I'm going to give a really big spoiler here, so if you don't want to hear it, pause and go watch the thing. If you don't care, just keep listening. Everyone I just named in that list, besides McCready and Childs, dies in this film. At the end, we are left with the two of them, and we are not sure if one or both of them are infected. And this is a 
big subject of debate. In fact, if you go online and look up was Childs infected, you can even search that on the Retroist. I did a post about it. You will see a scene-by-scene breakdown of proof one way or another about who is infected. It's up to you to make a decision. I've watched this film a couple of times, and one thing that always gets me is Fuchs, who dies a really mysterious death. He sees someone outside who I guess is maybe infected, and then goes out after him with a flare in hand. Then people come out after him, and they find his charred remains that they all assume are Fuchs, and that would mean that he took a flare and somehow in the snow was able to burn himself to a charred remain. Maybe he was trying to fight the thing, or maybe he didn't want to be assimilated and burned himself. Either way, that's got to be really hard to light yourself on fire, and it is one of the most mysterious things for me in the film. It trumps the who was infected thing because, okay, one of them is infected or both, it doesn't matter, but how did Fuchs die? It's very mysterious. If you have a theory, I'd like to hear it. Now with a little bit more about Wilford Brimley is Vic Sage with another Why Should I Know This Person? Hi friends, Vic Sage here with Why Should I Know This Person? And this time we are shining the spotlight on John Carpenter's The Thing co-star, Wilford Brimley. Anthony Wilford Brimley was born on September 27, 1934, in Salt Lake City, Utah. Before establishing an acting career in 1969, Brimley had served in the United States Marine Corps, worked as a ranch hand, wrangler, blacksmith, and as a bodyguard for Howard Hughes. Brimley's first acting credit was, in fact, an uncredited role in 1969's True Grit. In 1974, he secured a 10-episode run on the popular CBS series The Waltons. In 1979, the busy actor appeared in The China Syndrome, The Electric Horseman, How the West Was Won, and The Wild Wild West Revisited as President Grover Cleveland. In the 1980s, he would appear in some of his most popular films, such as Brubaker, Absence of Malice, John Carpenter's The Thing, Tender Mercies, Ten to Midnight, High Road to China, The Natural, Cocoon and its sequel, Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, and a 46-episode run on NBC's Our House as Gus Witherspoon. In the 1990s and up to today, Brimley has continued to work in films and television, highlights which include The Firm, Hard Target, Walker, Texas Ranger, In and Out, Seinfeld, and The Road Home. Brimley and fellow actor Robert Duvall became friends after working together on 1969's True Grit and 1971's Lawman. Brimley was cast, in fact, in 1983's Tender Mercies due to Robert Duvall, who found himself not getting along with the film's director, Bruce Beresford. Duvall wanted, quote, somebody down here that's on my side, somebody I can relate to. Upon being cast, Brimley did, in fact, clash with Beresford when the director tried to advise him on how his character would behave. Duvall has said that his friend responded to the director by saying, quote, Now look, let me tell you something. I'm Harry. Harry's not over there. Harry's not over here. Until you fire me or get another actor, I'm Harry. And whatever I do is fine, cause I'm Harry. Brimley has appeared in TV commercials, notably for Quaker Oats and Liberty Medical, but he's also released a jazz album entitled, this time, The Dream's On Me. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person, signing off until next time.
Thanks, Vic. If you've ever seen the poster for the thing, it was done by very famous artist Drew Struzan, who created it overnight, and he had not seen any publicity photos. So, remarkable job. When the film was released, it opened at number 8, and would remain in the top 10 at the box office for three weeks. It was released on June 25th, 1982, R-rated. It would cost $15 million to produce, and would go on to make $19.6 million domestically. There's many people who have speculated as to why that is. I know it was a really big blow to Carpenter, couldn't understand it, and a lot of people criticized the film for being too gory, and maybe that is because around the same time, E.T. the Extraterrestrial had come out, which offered a very different look at what an alien might be like when it came to Earth, a very optimistic view of alien visitation, and maybe people didn't want to have this sort of darker vision of it. The Thing also opened at the exact same time as Blade Runner. Now, I said The Thing had come out at number three. Blade Runner was number two. It was quite a crowded time. The music on The Thing was the first of John Carpenter's films in which he did not score himself. They actually went to Jerry Goldsmith, a very famous composer who passed on the film. They would eventually bring in Ennio Morricone, who made a very Carpenter-like brooding soundtrack. Carpenter, though, would score a few pieces of music with Alan Howarth. The soundtrack was originally released on Compact Disc in 1991. While those original ones are out of print, so you have to buy them on the secondary market, a re-recording of the soundtrack, produced and arranged by Howarth and Larry Hopkins, is available. And it is the only version of the soundtrack that contains the unused Carpenter and Howarth pieces for the film. After these messages, we will return. It's a coming right up, but you won't need that spoon. How am I going to eat the oatmeal? With your fingers here. This isn't oatmeal. Oh, it is too. Quaker oatmeal muffins, and I made them myself. See here, the recipe. Can I have another one, Grandpa? You bet. But don't swallow it whole this time, okay? Quaker oatmeal. It's the right thing to do even if it's a muffin. <laughs> In the two-dimensional world of video dots and dashes, flat blips and formless blobs, one video arcade game soars a dimension above the rest. Saxon! Experience the control as you climb and dive. Feel the power as you attack and evade. Discover a new level of excitement with the true feel of action in three dimensions. Saxon, from the master design engineers of Sega. And now, back to the show. In 2003, the Sci-Fi Channel planned to do a four-hour miniseries. Carpenter gave him their blessings, but nothing ever became of it. If you search online, you can find a copy of the screenplay for the Sci-Fi series. It's pretty good. A little bit after that, Carpenter said that he had an idea for doing The Thing 2, which would basically pick up right at the end of the first movie. Now you could say, well, it's been a while, these guys have aged, but he had this idea that frostbite had really ravaged them, which is why they looked so much older. Sadly, nothing ever became of that. Eventually, a prequel to the thing would be made, and it focused on the fate of the Norwegian crew that first discovered the alien, 
before the events in the original movie. Unfortunately, that version of the film was not very well received, although it is very well acted and has some pretty decent effects in it. If you'd like to read the novelization of The Thing, it was published in 1982 and written by Alan Dean Foster. It stays pretty close to the film, although there's a little bit more explanation and just a couple of added little scenes. Otherwise, you're going to get a pretty straight-up version of the film in the book. Dark Horse Comics has published four comic sequels to the film in the form of three miniseries and one serial. The comic series was titled The Thing from Another World after the 1951 film, not because they were trying to take off on that one, but because there might be legal conflict with Marvel, who has a character called The Thing. In 2002, a video game was released for the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and PC. I have not played the game. I watched some footage of it. It seemed pretty good. I've heard it's actually canon, that the things that happened in there have been endorsed by John Carpenter. So if you're a fan of the thing, you should definitely check that out. There haven't been a ton of toys, although there's a very funny fake toy commercial for a line of The Thing action figures on YouTube. Just do a search for The Thing toy line and you'll see it. In 2000, as part of their Movie Maniacs line of toys, McFarlane Toys released two figures, though, based on the film, real ones. One was the monster that was Blair, or what they call the Blair monster. The other is the Norris creature. These are named after the characters from which the version of the thing sprouted. They're pretty good-looking toys. If you have been lucky enough to go to Universal Studios during their Halloween Horror Nights, they have included some Thing-based material there. I'm not sure about this year, but I know in 2011 they included the prequel The Thing at both the Florida and Hollywood editions of the Halloween Horror Nights. The film was released on VHS and Laserdisc and eventually would get a release on... DVD. There was also a re-edited version that would be used on television, and this version was heavily cut to remove anything unacceptable for television. It also included a narrator sequence. I think I might have seen this version at some point and got very confused because it reminded me of the 1951 version, and then I saw it on VHS and then was really confused as to what movie I had seen. Now, of course, because of the magic of the internet, in a quick search you could figure out that there had been many different versions. They have since released the thing on Blu-ray, so if you would like to watch it in HD, it is available, and it is often on streaming services. I believe it is on the major ones right now, so if you wanted to watch it for Halloween, it is just a click away. As a fun little fact, the thing is regularly viewed by members of the Winter Crew at the South Pole Station, after the last flight out for the year, usually in a double feature with The Shining. It is also viewed by the scientific personnel on the Greenland ice sheet. It is a great tradition to watch because it is really freaky, but it is also a great movie to re-watch and re-watch again and again because it is so well constructed every time you watch it. You will find new things and you will wonder about what is exactly happening in this film. While the end might be the same each time, you will watch it and wonder, was Childs infected? How did this character die and in what chronology? How does the thing move from person to person? Does their clothing matter? These are all questions you can ask yourself when you watch it again and again. It is one of those rare gems of a film that 
raises questions at the same time that it satisfies you. And that is why I think you should watch the thing every year, be it when your last plane is leaving your Arctic base or in the middle of the summer when your air conditioning is cranked to the maximum. Just make sure if you're at a slumber party, you're not the last one awake. I guarantee you will have nightmares and you will want to run home, just like I did. What do we mean by metamorphosis? Metamorphosis, metamorphosis, a certain kind of... Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. Thanks to Vic Sage for another Why Should I Know This Person? You can find Vic Sage at The Retroist every day. He also makes regular appearances on the podcast. If you have feedback for Vic, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks to Peachy for the wonderful music you hear on the show. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. An egg that changes into an embryo I think Keith David is just one of those great actors who, if I had to choose someone to play me in a movie, it would either be Keith David or maybe Oliver Platt. It's sort of a toss-up. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.